This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of Sikkim 365. Ah. Those guys, All right. Final time. Three, two, one. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com, Sikkim365 Radio. I'm Craig Smoke. Joined, as always, by Grayson Grunhafer, Director of Broadcasting, also team and recruiting reporter, and, uh, of course, you can catch me on Sikkim 365 Radio, also writing a little bit on the site, and we'll have a NFL piece coming up soon on Sikkim365.com as training camps open, which is just one of the things that we'll be talking about uh, when it comes to Baylor Athletics news. Uh, not a ton in the bag this week as far as headlines go, which is kind of a nice break given that it's been so hectic now for going on, well, ever since the end of last season, quite frankly, but... Uh, we are still kind of in the midst of realignment and obviously going to start talking about the beginning of fall camp here within uh, less than two weeks. We'll start to see practices begin for ba- uh, the Baylor Bears, but uh, still a lot to get to and a lot to talk about on today's episode. But before we dive into it, Grayson, how are we doing this week? Doing good. I mean, yeah, you're, like you said, it hasn't been a crazy busy week, but I mean, we've just been sitting here pretty much talking about conference realignment for the past few weeks and month it seems like over a month now that we've been talking about that so that's been a huge headline and so you know that's kind of caught attention along with recruiting so that still keeps going but I'm just excited for fall camp to be here in a week Um, and I know next week we'll probably do a little bit more of a preview about fall camp uh, which will be starting August 4th right uh, yeah, that's what Dave Aranda told me at Media Days uh, when I asked him during our, our one-on-one interview with him. So uh, that's what we're expecting unless, you know, they change it by a day or so. That's when they're pretty much going to start to have to get underway with a game coming up uh, in a little over a month. So uh, that is right around the corner, but uh, that is for, uh, you know, the next couple of podcasts to, to really dive into. On today's episode, we're going to get into a brand new commit uh, we'll get into a long-time commit and the latest with him, and then also a little bit about NFL camps and then get into the mailbag. So let's start off with the uh, new commitment news. This has become almost a, a weekly feature is whoever the newest commit is for Baylor football, but now up to 23 players total in the class of 2023. So 23 for 23, and still some more to, to probably come. Uh, they're not quite done just yet, but number 23 in the bag, and it was Trey Wilson. Uh, out of Garland, Texas, the latest pledge, uh, listed as a defensive end, although you said uh, or you said on the radio that uh, he's looking more like a jack uh, in this Baylor defense, but out of Lakeview Centennial High School, he's got some uh, Pac-12 offers, got an Arkansas offer, amongst some others as well, so pretty nice list there. ACC, I mean, kind of all over the board here. Michigan, um, I mean, he's got an offer – what, from the entire Power Five uh, or every Power Five conference. So pretty big get here. What can you tell us about Trey Wilson? Yeah, like you said, every Power Five conference, he's got an offer from at least one school in those conferences, which is really interesting. But I would say, you know, it started to come down to he was really looking at those Pac-12 schools. Uh, He took his official visits to Washington, Utah, USC, and then the Baylor one on June 24th. And I actually thought he was going to commit shortly after that visit. Um, And this really didn't coincide with the whole, you know, what's going on with realignment right now, but I'm sure it didn't hurt when you kind of moved forward to when he actually made his commitment decision. There's a lot of uncertainty in the Pac-12, and I think being closer to home, um, sticking to the relationships that have meant the most to him, like from Dave Aranda and Dennis Johnson were big for him. And like you said, I mentioned he's probably going to start at Jack. That's kind of the prediction I have for him right now, but he could end up being a defensive end. You know, he's already 245 pounds, so he's a big dude and is a guy who could grow into that role. Um, But currently, he's mainly going to be used as a pass rusher. Like, that's the skill set that he really brings to the table at the next level already. Um, And I think looking at his film, 
<clears throat> there's still work to do in coverage. He still needs to get better at that if he's truly going to stick at that outside linebacker role. Um, but what you do see that flashes is violent hands. He's very strong. He gets in the backfield in a hurry, and he plays with a very high motor, which is something that I feel like we say about almost every defensive line prospect in this class. They have to play with a high motor. It's required in Dave Aranda's defense, as we saw a season ago. Uh, this is a really nice pickup. You know, Baylor's been recruiting him for a really long time. They were one of his first offers, a school that believed in him early and just kept recruiting him, even though he was a guy who kind of had a lot of ebbs and flows in his recruitment, was ranked really high at the beginning, felt like he dropped down a little bit, and then his ranking has kind of uh, peaked out at this point. Um, but yeah, this is a great gift for Baylor and a guy who's got a great offer list, probably one of the best offer lists in the entire class. Yep, so, uh, man, you got FSU, Colorado, Miami, Michigan, uh, Mississippi State, uh, FSU, the list goes on and on uh, of schools that have offered Trey Wilson. So he is commit number 23 for the class of 2023. And where do we kind of sit now? Uh, we'll get into, obviously, the one pledge that's kind of flipping in the air constantly, which is quarterback Austin Novosad. But let's just say he's part of the class. He is part of the class. Um, until he's not, or if that ever comes, we'll get to again that in a moment, but at 23 commits now, uh, resetting the table as we normally do every week after some new pledges, uh, where does Baylor sit? Yeah, so I think we're kind of at an interesting point right now where they still have spots remaining, and I'm starting, like I told you last week, I'm starting to get this belief that they're probably going to get closer to 26 or 27 commits in this class. It just kind of feels like it's trending in that direction. Uh, guys who are on the table still, Clean Ellison, defense lineman Brendan Bett. I feel like I've said his name numerous amount of times. Uh, he took an official visit to Baylor, felt like Baylor was clear leader. I felt like a decision was going to be made very quickly, but nothing has been made yet. And so that's kind of held back his timeline some. Uh, to Darius Collins, uh, the defense lineman out of Louisiana, those are two guys that I feel like fit the same role. And so I don't think Baylor can take both of them. I'd be surprised if they could take both, but I know for sure, uh, or at least it feels like for sure, they're going to get one of them. Uh, Atascacita's big nose tackle, Sam Moo. Um, this guy is massive. He's over 380 pounds. He kind of fits the, the mold of Apu Ika, who plays for Baylor currently. He's making his decision on July 30th. Baylor's in this, but it just seems like everything is trending towards Oregon right now. Um, and so I, I find it kind of unlikely that he's going to end up uh, coming to Baylor on that date. But... He could take a visit to Baylor in the fall for an official visit, which is something that he was actually planning on doing before he released a commitment date. Uh, other guys to keep an eye on. Uh, Centennial wide receiver out of California, Malachi Riley. He's a guy who might take an official visit to Baylor. I think things are trending in that direction. Um, I think for Baylor on the wide receiver position, it would have to be someone who they feel like is a best player available for them to take one. Meaning this guy's got to be a true difference maker or else I don't see them wasting a spot at wide receiver with how many young guys they have currently on the roster. But I think Riley might be an exception as he's right around being a four-star prospect. Another guy to keep an eye on is post outside linebacker Isaiah Crawford, who's currently committed to Texas Tech. I know Baylor's been in talks with him. He was supposed to take his official visit in June, um, but that got postponed till the fall. So I think he will take an official visit to Baylor and still give them an opportunity to potentially flip him later on in the season, which I think bodes really well for Baylor. God, uh, that would it, be kind of funny if that happened. Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, if Baylor goes, you know, 9-3 and three or 10-2 and two and Tech struggles and goes 5-7, and seven, I mean, shoot, he, he was committed to Baylor at one time, and uh, I think that that could turn his head a little bit. It wouldn't surprise me, at least. Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll be interesting to see because, I mean, they could easily go 5-7. and seven, They could easily make a bowl game. It kind of just depends, I think, on, you know, um, how well everything just sort of gels from the beginning, how they start off the season with that, like that Houston game and that uh, who NC else? They, State. Yeah, like however, however they do that, I think that's how their season goes. Yeah, they got to win one of those. Well, if they go like two and one yeah. and then they don't make a bowl game, that's a failure because yeah. that means you went four and five in the Big 12. Um, They're not beating NC State, so they better be Houston. Yeah, um, that's what I'm saying. Like, but if they start off, you know, one and two, then yeah, making a bowl game all of a sudden becomes a much bigger question. So For that's sure. what I mean is like how they do those first two main non-con games, uh, how how they fare in those. I think will kind of set the table for for the type of season that they ultimately have. But 
Um, yeah, I'm still high on their chances of making a bowl game. Um, but I, I know that they, you know, they uh, still, a, you know, a first-year team basically, but a lot coming back. So, yeah, that's very interesting about Crawford that he's still potentially in the mix. Yeah, he's he's been a guy that's been in the mix for a while. And, I mean, like like we talked about, he was committed to Baylor for a little while Yeah, I mean, well, that's so. where he was. Yeah. And then they flipped him. So, so he's got a lot of interest still, I think, in Baylor. But he is committed to Tech. Like, don't. Hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying he will flip to Baylor. It's more so he has interest. You know, there, there's some interest there. But right now, still firmly committed to Texas Tech. All right. So there's a little bit of a rundown of where we sit now with the, the 2023 Baylor recruiting class. Uh, a lot of names for just what is a few spots remaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see how that sort of unfolds here over the next few weeks. Obviously, the big puzzle piece that still is waiting to be figured out. Uh, and hopefully will be sooner rather than later is the quarterback commit in Austin Novosad. Uh, so uh, he's been committed to Baylor this entire time, but as we know, uh, we've almost become like a weekly segment of, you know, who's offered him lately or where the interest is. And, of course, A&M and Ohio State, and am I missing anybody? Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame yeah, uh, are all, uh, you know, in contention for him. Uh, so where do we sit now with Austin Novosad? What's the latest? Yeah, so I put out an update on Sikkim 365 Premium. So please go check it out if you haven't before. Um, you would have gotten this information a couple days ago. But here's where we're at. He's going to take a visit to Notre Dame today. That will be today for the cookout. So he'll be in South Bend, go on a little tour, do an, official, an unofficial visit, uh, meet with Tommy Reese, uh, the quarterback's coach there, um, and offense coordinator, and then uh, Marcus Freeman as well. They've been recruiting him really hard. They need a quarterback in this 2023 class. So he's going up and visiting. I don't view them as a huge challenger. I just feel like for him to not have an official visit with them and for him to just kind of go up there for a day. I just can't imagine that one day at Notre Dame completely changes his mind from where he's been with Baylor over the last, you know, half a year. I just, I don't see that happening. I think that's highly unlikely. Moving on to Friday. Uh, he might take a visit to Texas A&M. A&M's been trying to get him on the visit on Saturday, which was their pool party. That's not happening. So now they're going to try to get him on Friday for an unofficial visit, try to just get him on campus again, allow Daryl Dickey and Jimbo Fisher to get in his ear a little bit more, let him talk to other commits, and just kind of try to get him in College Station again. The problem is is that he's been to College Station a million times. Like, he grew up a A&M fan. Right. And so, again, I don't see that really changing his mind a whole lot, and he might not even go. That's not even technically on his schedule at the moment. And then Saturday, he's going to come to Baylor camp. I think he's actually going to compete in Baylor camp on Saturday as well. And then they also have an event, which they're going to have probably around 15 of the commits in the 2023 class, um, just hanging out, chilling, meeting each other, talking more. Some haven't gotten to meet each other in the past, and now they'll get a chance to. And I think that's a big deal as well, right? When Austin's coming, all of these commits are going to be there. They're going to get a chance to bond even more. He's considered a leader in this class. So it's an opportunity for him to show, you know, he is the leader in this class and that, you know, Baylor's the place for him. And that'll be his last visit. And next week he will have a decision. That's where we're at. He's going to make a decision next week on the future of, you know, where he's going to go. Is he going to stick with Baylor? Is he going to flip somewhere else? That's kind of where we're at. But as far as my opinion, I think he's going to be a bear. I think this confirms things even more for me. I think getting the last visit with him is huge. And I also think the timing of it, the fact that he's coming to Baylor instead of going to AM's pool party, which is one of their biggest events of the year, speaks volumes to kind of, I think, where his head is at. And uh, I think having all the commits there will really solidify things for him. So take that for what it's worth on Austin Novosad, but uh, does seem like the – I guess the thumb or the arrows pointing up for, for Baylor. I mean, he's been committed this entire time, but can't blame somebody for at least entertaining other offers and listening to other, you know, coaches. At least it's all happening before the season starts. And good news is before the season starts for Baylor and for Austin Novosad, they'll both know what's what. Uh, so that's good. And that's what he wanted. He And he that's what really Baylor wanted. probably wants too because yeah. they need to kind of know because otherwise they are up 
you know, what creek uh, without right. a quarterback commit or anybody else that they've really spent any time on. And so. Austin's got to focus on the season because they're moving up to 6A football. Like, this is not going to be a joke. They're, they're in the same uh, division as Westlake or same district as Westlake and Lake Travis now. So they're going to get pushed um, for sure. And I, I think this is what he wanted. He wanted to be done with his recruitment uh, before the season began. And I know practice for them probably gets started really soon as well. Um, or at least official pads practice. And so, yeah, I think this is kind of perfect timing for him and makes a lot of sense. So uh, there you go. Uh, Austin Ovasad will have a decision next week. Uh, whether or not that happens before we uh, record again, uh, I don't know. But if it does, then we'll have plenty to say about it, I am sure. And there's kind of where the, the class sits now as well. So as we are less than a couple weeks away from the start of fall camp, uh, Baylor's pretty much, you know, at the, the end of, stretch of their recruiting class already and uh, they could really have a, a deep you know sigh of relief if their quarterback commit further pledges or whatever you even want to call it at that point cements his pledge uh, to the Bears and uh, then really just kind of focus on filling out those last few spots and, and mostly f- focus on defending your Big 12 championship or trying to go and win another one so uh, thankfully that is right around the corner uh, as we've been talking here been uh, just looking at different notes and notice that uh, Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren's given his kind of state of the Big Ten address and um, been very interesting to see some of the realignment chatter. Nothing's changed since last week. Um, There's a big to-do made by a couple of national reporters about the Pac-12 saving grace being their late-night kickoffs on Saturday night, and the Big Ten's basically taking a fire extinguisher to that um, and said, well, yeah, we got USC and UCLA now. We're going to have games in the late window and then there's the Big 12, who's, I've said this entire time, it's like, okay, you got BYU, there's one team out west, let's go grab, you know, a couple of others, and there's your late-night kickoff. So the Pac-12, like, that whole argument just seemed flimsy to me of why they're relevant is because of this one-time slot that you can't put, like, multiple games in. You can put a game or two, but really a game in. And that just seemed like a really flimsy argument all day yesterday when I kept hearing why this was some position of strength. And then today, like, yeah, just Kevin Warren just goes, that's ours now. Um, Screw you, Pac-12, is basically what he says. Big 12, again, they've got positioning. But uh, Warren did mention that uh, they have a couple of, uh, let's see here, he thanked Fox and the Big Ten Network but said they'll have some new media family members soon, some partners, some new media partners, which is not unexpected. It's just a matter of how many new media partners. That's the question is you know they're going to have a massive deal. You know that – each school is going to be making record money uh, when that's announced. You know that they're going to have the two L.A. schools, so that bumps them up even further. And you know the deal will probably be over like a billion dollars. And you know it's going to be a big chunk of it with Fox. The remaining question is, and the Big Ten Network, obviously, but who else is cutting pieces of the pie? Is CBS? Is it Netflix? Is it Amazon? Is it whoever? And there's some people that feel like it could be like six different networks. So that'll be important just to see kind of what the dust settle looks like once the Big Ten cuts their deal because that's one of the biggest questions out there right now in realignment is how many spots do they take up on networks? How many networks like are filled with inventory by the end of it? And what does that leave for the Pac-12 and the Big 12 as they get ready to, you know, in the Pac-12's case, like they're on the clock getting ready to negotiate their deal. The Big 12 still has a couple of years remaining, um, but – Still, you, you know, if the Big Ten has got deals with every network, which is theoretically possible now with how many teams they have and the whole east to west thing they've now set up because of the L.A. grab, well, I mean, that could definitely eat into both uh, as far as their potential. The good news, I do think, for the Big 12, unlike the Pac-12, is that their deal doesn't come up for a couple years because a lot can happen between now and then. Whereas if you're the Pac-12, I don't really know, like – apparently that's another thing that's been positioned as a a point of strength is having their deal come up now. Whereas I feel like I'd much rather have a couple more years to kind of see what happens first. Um, Because if realignment's not really done, then what does it matter if you're signing a deal right now? You're just locking yourself up like the ACC for, you know, and kind of missing out on the the potential. I I don't know. It's all kind of wonky and crazy, but uh, the Big Ten's getting ready to flex its muscles in, in a major way with the announcement of whatever this deal is going to be. And then once we see that, then a lot of things will start to be a lot clearer, I think, for folks in the Big 12 and elsewhere. And that should include some clarity on Notre Dame and how involved they're going to be 
uh, whether as a conference member of some sort or as an independent. So um, those dominoes, no timetable, but you got to feel like those are dropping soon. Yeah, and the rumors are that the Big Ten, all the schools are going to be making over $100 million. That's kind of the the expectation, I guess, at this time, especially after adding USC and UCLA. But I'm right there with you. I mean, that article by Stuart Mandel that basically just harped on those uh, Pac-12 after dark games was just absolutely ridiculous because – you know, that's the Pac-12 where they're currently at. There is no ceiling with that. They can't, it's not like if they add SMU or San Diego State, that's going to be a huge deal for them or really raise their ceiling at all. Whereas in the Big 12, if they add a couple Pac-12 schools, now they get Big 12 after dark and they're able to take advantage of that. They already have Tech as well, who I think could easily play in those games already. BYU, uh, as you mentioned. And so, yeah, I, I think that, that article, you can kind of just throwing the trash to be honest because yeah. there's going to be a lot of moving parts going forward and I'm right there with you I think the Big 12 is lucky that their contract doesn't come up for a little bit because I think they get to sit back and see okay so what's the Big 10 going to do is the Pac-12 going to collapse what are these other conferences going to do is the ACC going to find some magical document to get out of their grant of rights just what's going to happen I think it's nice to sit back a little bit and at this time, you know, they're still open for business and ready to go get some Pac-12 schools. We'll see if it happens. Uh, but if it does, it gives them a lot of time to kind of sit back and evaluate things and evaluate the best strategy going forward into that renegotiation. Yeah, and uh saw this quote from Kevin Warren, a Big Ten commissioner. Uh, on Brett Yormark, new Big 12 commissioner, Brett is a marketing wizard, very innovative. Uh, that was his quote, and it was in regards to uh, talking about college football playoff expansion and kind of everybody having a seat at the table because obviously the big fear right now is that there's going to be the Super 2, as I call them, and then nobody else. But it just doesn't make any sense, really. I mean, it really doesn't in the grand scheme. Like, why alienate hundreds of fans or thousands of fans uh, by making it so exclusive? So you would think that no matter what the setup is, that at the end there will still be opportunities for, you know, Big 12 teams or Pac-12 teams or whatever and so that's a, just that's interesting uh, comment from Kevin Warren. Not really a whole lot to it, just a few words, but complimentary nonetheless of the Big 12's new commissioner. And, yeah, imagine if he was starting the job and they were having to negotiate the TV network right now, um, which is, I guess, why it made sense that you knew you are going to have to make a move sooner rather than later. Do it now with Bob Bowlesby, now that he's kind of settled the waters a little bit and let Brett Yormark take over this next couple of years and obviously the TV deal that will be coming up uh, in a couple of years from now as well. But, yeah, I mean – uh, I saw the argument initially for why the Pac-12 had great timing being up first, and I, I just disagree. I, I think that the fact that it coincides with the Big Ten and there's this just like it seems a takeover by two conferences in particular, uh, you know, right after losing your two biggest, uh, you know, market brands and, and the L.A. schools, I just I don't know how that's better timing. Uh, somebody would have to – to, to write an article that's not paywalled, you know, from the San Francisco Chronicle or something for me to be able to read why that makes sense. But, um, yeah, I, I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that late kickoff, especially after the Big Ten comments today being uh, any sort of huge, you know, key factor for the Pac-12 uh, because that could just easily be be stomped out by by the Big Ten, for starters, much less, you know, BYU and the Big 12 plus other some other combinations. So, all of it's very interesting. Every day it's kind of something new, some new rumor, but this is nice to see just actually a commissioner talking who's in a position of power uh, in Kevin Warren, one of the two biggest positions of power, and we'll see how it all plays out. But uh, there we are, uh, just a couple of notes, and uh, I'll be interested to see kind of the rest of the way. Uh, here's John Wilner, who's very pro Pac-12, uh, talks about the Kevin Warren quote about adding new partners sometime soon that list will frame the options for the pack and big 12 both in terms of which networks are interested in how much cash is available and uh it will uh, like i was just saying but the thing is the pack is like they gotta do it now and the big 12 can kind of see how it goes the next couple of years so we'll see if that works in their favor or not but um yeah, the, the story that never ends is the realignment story. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, there's going to be so many debates. And I know Pac-12 fans are kind of in position. Big 12 fans were in last year. And so I get it. You know, it, it's a tough place to be in. And you're going to make excuses for why your conference is great and why you're going to be able to do this and that and why you're going to survive and all of this. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is they're not in a good position right now. And I, I think that 
everyone probably understands that, but a lot of people don't want to believe that. Um, but they are. They're in a very vulnerable position at this time. I also felt like this was kind of an interesting tweet by uh, Brett McMurphy. And I know we've, I think you all have mentioned the uh, conference championship numbers, but mm-hmm. I felt like bringing them up again for maybe someone who has missed it. But the SEC last year, so this is view viewers in the millions and attendance. Uh, SEC, 15.3 million viewers. Bama versus Georgia was the game, 78,000 in attendance. Big 10, 11.7 million. Michigan versus Iowa, 67,000 in attendance. Big 12, 8 million viewers. Baylor versus Oklahoma State, 65,771. So those are the top three, right? So here's the drop-off to the Pac-12. 4.2 million. Utah versus Oregon, 56,511. So they had nearly 10,000 less people in attendance and nearly 4 million less views than the Big 12 did, even though the Big 12 didn't have Oklahoma or Texas in that game, whereas the Pac-12 had Oregon in it. Found that pretty interesting. Yeah, and I saw the the fight against that from uh, some Pac-12 circles, I guess, was that uh, there were playoff implications with Oklahoma State and Baylor. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's true, but it also kicked off at 11 a.m. Like, I mean, so, you know, you can make an argument for anything. I mean, you really can make an argument – out of anything, and I've seen people do that, but I mean, I'll, I'm just not going to spend much time thinking about what Pac-12 fans have to say today because all day yesterday, I saw media trumpeting this time slot that Kevin Warren just, you know, like brushed away like it was dust on his kitchen floor in about a half a second. So that that was all for naught, and that's why it was just a bunch of noise. And, and I, it's just you know. what you mentioned, though. You said, oh, well, there were playoff implications and all this. Well, that's why the Big 12's numbers were lower, because all of their games are when other games are on, whereas the Pac-12 is playing when no one else is playing. So, yeah. of course, people are going to be watching that game. So, it, again, it's all contradictions. So I find that to be really It's all very flimsy, yeah. Very when you really flimsy. break it down, it's like, yeah, this one kickoff late at night when no one else is playing <laughs> is our big rallying Good you know, for you. cry. Yeah. and. Yeah, well, that's about to be taken over by schools that used to play in your league, uh, but will now be doing it under the Big Ten banner. So, but yeah, and also uh, USC and UCLA enjoy those uh, like righteously late uh, wow. <laughs> football games on Saturday nights that you hated <laughs> in your old conference, but at least you get paid more to play those in your new conference. So that's not exactly going to work out exactly the way that those LA schools wanted because those late games are going to be. It looks like. Uh, a regular part of, of their routines uh, in the Big Ten. Um, all right, so uh, that leaves us with some NFL stuff. Uh, I'm going to have an article out in the next day or so. Um, I'm trying to put some of the finishing touches and cross-check some rosters, but training camps across the NFL, players are reporting today on Tuesday. It's the the day where just, you know, that's the cutoff day as far as the, all the vets reporting. Some teams have had rookies already show up in the last couple of weeks, but I mean, this is all just the start. It's not like boom practices and cuts and all that, like right out of the gates. It's slower start. Um, and, you know, like for the Cowboys, I mean, I think David Hellman said that their first real practice that he'll care about is still like a week away, but this is the beginning of it. And um, just notable after Baylor's recent draft class. A record number of six guys, then had a number of guys that signed as undrafted free agents. But uh, I'll have this in the article, and I don't want to delve too much more into the individual um, because I'll write about all that. But uh, 28 former players by my count, and again, I need to cross-check all of this before I publish it. Uh, but as of right now, 28 former players on 22 teams is uh, where Baylor football sits entering training camp. Uh, they will not be at 28 when training camp closes or when cuts are, you know, final all the way down to 53. Right now, rosters are nearly twice their uh, in size and very bloated and, and will be shrunk down over the next few weeks to, you know, from like 90 to 53. So uh, there will be lots and lots and lots of cuts, and those will inevitably include some Baylor guys. But uh, how many of those 28 they can get to stick will be the, the real key here. So, um, you know, there's going to be – uh, some guys that are no-brainers like Xavier Howard, pretty much all the guys that were just drafted, although, you know, Kalen Barnes being a late pick has to be careful, um, you know, and, and there's others who have kind of hung on or hung around maybe on practice squads that are going to have to be careful to keep doing that because it's one thing when you're like 21, but when you're 25 and you're taking up the same spot and there's 21-year-olds that are now, you know, making their way into the league, it's, it's hey, man, it's a grown man's business and it's a tough business and so it's it's hard to to stick around and 
Um, that fight will begin for 28 guys, but you do feel good about Xavier Howard. You feel good about the rookies uh, that were drafted for the most part. Um, but there are others that it will be uh, very interesting to kind of see how it pans out. Denzel Mims, one of those guys with yeah. the Jets who basically has to have a great He's training camp. Yeah. Yes. Uh, or Abram is on the fringe, too, as an undrafted guy as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the only saving grace for him, you would think, is that they paid him a good contract, mm-hmm. which is not um, necessarily a sign that he'll make the team, but certainly says that they had interest in him, m- more so than just your typical undrafted free agent. Yeah, the Camara suspension, if that happens, that would be huge for him as well. Yeah, do you know the Baylor connection there? Alvin Kamara? Yeah. No. He's uh, Dayton, um, was it, uh, is it Taya Cooper? Oh, Taya, okay. Uh, he's Dayton, a former Baylor women's basketball player. I just saw it yesterday. Okay. I think it's Taya Cooper. Okay, I did um, not know that. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, it's Taya Cooper. Okay. Uh, New York Post, Alvin Kamara, WNBA <laughs> girlfriend Taya Cooper, celebrate his 27th birthday. This was from yesterday. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I did so, not know that. There's I didn't know that either. He might be in Waco yeah. at some point. Who knows? Uh, yeah, okay. just like Dwight Howard used to be yep. all the time. Yep. Um, but, yeah, uh, he's, he's dating her, so that's an interesting little connection. Uh, Abram Smith and... Alvin Kamara and Taya Cooper. Um, <laughs> not that that's Abrams in there, <laughs> but just you know, there's Baylor yeah. connections in New Orleans right. now. Um, so yeah. Uh, anyways, I guess uh, we'll see how it goes for Abram, and we'll see how it goes for everybody else. But that's where we are. Nearly 30 players, nearly or a little over 20 teams, and you know, see uh, see how high those numbers can remain. After a few weeks, yeah. And I mentioned this uh, yesterday. I guess uh, Mark Vital has had a nice little run at a Chiefs camp in day three. They talked about how he won a 50-50 ball during seven-on-seven and has had a couple strong days. So keep an eye on Mark Vidal. Not necessarily one that you think of being in the NFL just because, obviously, he played basketball at Baylor, but he's trying to earn earn a roster spot as well with the Chiefs, a team that's obviously very, very good. And uh, I feel like that's probably a tough one to – to be able to make that team, um, but good for him that he's at least showing some flashes right now. Yeah, he was on the uh, sidelines for their playoff game last year, uh, but hasn't seen much action. But, yeah, it's amazing how Baylor basketball has been able to just be a part of the NFL, <laughs> whether or not it's actually playing all that much. They've been able to just kind of hang out on rosters, and mm-hmm. that's cool. Uh, that's been really neat to see. I don't quite understand it, honestly. Why there's been multiple former Baylor basketball players that have had these weird NFL connections, but kudos to Scott Drew and staff for for helping um, create that in part. Uh, so yeah, vital one of those guys will be an interesting story to uh, to see as well. So I'll have a piece on that coming out in the next day or so. You get the full list of of nearly thirty guys who are trying to to you know cut their teeth in the NFL in 2022 all right uh so that's all i think as far as news goes let's dive into the mailbag to close it out this week and start off with scotty b who says buy or sell Bijan robinson and deuce vaughn enter the nfl draft after this season i'm definitely buying that on Bijan, um and i think i'm definitely buying that on deuce vaughn as well i just don't know what else he can do after uh this year um yeah running back position you got it and as a running back you have a chance to go you pretty much have to go because of just longevity and it's not a position where they're you know carving out the next six years for a specific running back they're just like whatever running back is the running Mm -hmm. back that is gonna work we're gonna you know play that guy um this is not like being a quarterback or even a wide receiver right now in the nfl where you're like the prize you know of everyone's eye uh running back not not the greatest time to be a running back, honestly. But, yeah, I'm, I'm selling Bijan for sure and, uh, and Deuce Vaughn as well. Uh, yeah, I'm buying both that both are leaving. Or buying both, yeah, buying, yes. Yeah, Bijan's definitely gone. Like, we, that doesn't even need to be a conversation. Deuce is the conversation. But, again, running back, you got to go. Yep, no doubt. So, there's, uh, there's that one. Let's go on to uh, it's going to cost you. If you have to pick one, which road game would you most want to attend this year? Uh, I would probably say uh, the – which road game? Um, man, they got some good road games this year. I would probably go with uh, the Oklahoma game. I think that that's going to be a big one and one that they definitely need to find a way to win if they want to win uh, the Big 12. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that's going to be just one of those that's always been tough for them. And I think it'd be a cool environment to go to, even though there are some other good ones like Morgantown or, um, you know, going to see them play – 
Where's their other? Oh, BYU's kind of the other one. Yeah, BYU would be cool. Uh, I think given uh, just that it's kind of like that first trip and you know what's sort of on the horizon, uh, that would be kind of a cool deal. I mean, there's a... There's a, definitely a, a boatload of good trips to go to. This is like the road trip year, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Norman would be cool because it might be the last time uh, mm-hmm. that you see them going up and playing in Norman. True, um, that, that's favor for Texas, too. You're right. Yeah, could be um, or Austin, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of these potential – or there's a couple of those potential last and then, you know, a, a unique kind of first with BYU as they get ready to enter the Big 12. So – uh, you know, the Ames trip, just for – I always hear that's a good road trip. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'd probably go Oklahoma on uh, on that one. Uh, all right, so Stat, Stat boy. boy, which is most likely to happen this year? A, both Baylor and OSU make it to the Big 12 championship game again. Uh, B, either UT or OU make it to the championship. Or C, two Big 12 teams go 11-1 and one in the regular season, assuming none go undefeated. I'm going to go with C. I think C is the most likely to happen, that two teams are 11-1 and one entering the Big 12 championship. Um, and I would rank them C, A, B. Or, okay. No, no, I'm sorry. Either UT, ooh. No, I'm sorry, yeah, C, B, A. C, B, A is probably how I would, how I would go. Because that's just one of UT or Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma's probably in the top three to make it, so that's not really that big of a stretch. Uh, yeah, I'll go B, most likely. Uh, either UT or OU make it the championship. Um and then after that, I don't really know. Uh, I guess maybe A, and then I'll go C with the two Big 12 teams go 11-1 and one in the regular season because that just seems um, – I mean, I guess that's what you had last year with Oklahoma. No, you had 11-1, and 10-2, and 10-2. Okay. Yeah, so, so then, yeah. no, it's – yeah, I, I, I think it'll probably be somewhere similar to that again, not necessarily two 11-1 teams. So I'll go uh, OU, UT, better odds to make the championship game than Baylor, OSU – make the championship game, and then two teams go 11-1 and one in the regular season. Um, but, yes, that boy, I mean, that that's, uh, is kind of covering most of the bases. Um, those, are, those are the four favorites, I feel like, at least yeah. from the Big 12, uh, pretty clearly as we – and then K-State, K-State, I think you throw in there as well. But, yeah, I'll go uh, B uh, – what did I say? B-A-C uh, is what I'll go with. 1821 Club, love the podcast. Listen every week. Thanks for all you do. Uh, well, thank you, 1821, and a 20-team super conference. If Team A doesn't play Team T, but once every 10 years or so, are they really in the same conference? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, yeah, of course they are, but, I mean, it's just it's going to happen just because of the rotation of the schedules. And we've seen in the SEC for years, you know, who I'm trying to remember who it is, but someone in the SEC draws Vanderbilt every year in the SEC West, gets to play Vandy. I think it might be Alabama. And that's just like, come on, man. That's a free win every single year. Um, So, yeah, this stuff does happen. But, yeah, they're still in the same conference. You have to mix it up just to play the schedule the way that you need to. Yeah, it's like A&M still hasn't played at Georgia yet. Right. As mentioned yesterday, A&M celebrated a decade in the SEC last year. You realize that? Wow. No. It's been that long. Yeah, because Paul was doing a little thing because Paul's got some A&M in his family, and that's that's cool. That's whatever. But, you know, sometimes you got to kind of check him on his A&M love. Right. And so he was mentioning them like it was like six years ago, the same thing that we were saying six years ago. But like, well, you know, they're like they're building it up. And they're, and so I just finally go like, wait a second. Like, do you all realize they've been in the SEC for 10-plus years at this yeah. point? Like Johnny Manziel was 10 years ago. <laughs> and we're still talking about like just got to build up the lines a little bit. Got to. And so I asked him, I was like, at what point do you just have to go win? It's been 10 years. Yeah. Um, Austin Novoset. No, I'm just, but, but seriously, that's, that's kind of wild when you wrap your head around it, that Johnny Manziel was 10 plus years ago at this point, but you kind of get fooled into thinking like, oh yeah, they're just still easing their way in. It's like, no, they're not. They're about to turn teenagers and they're still like in the same spot they were in year one, basically. Seven, eight, nine, one team every year. Dude, look at their schedule. The last eight years, it's seven, eight, nine, seven, eight, nine, eight, seven, seven, nine, eight. It's, it's, it's those three numbers in the win column. And the only time it hasn't been that was Johnny's year. And it was Mm -hmm. 10 wins. And I guess two years ago, they were not in, they were nine and one. It was shortened season. So they, right. I think they were probably better than a, Nine eight, you know what I mean? They're yeah. better than a seven eight nine team that year. But yeah, I mean that's just that was crazy to me to think about the fact it's been ten plus years and we're still talking about them like they're just making their. Because I asked, I was like, "Are we going to give OU and Texas ten years before we go? Like y'all have to win something now?" 
Absolutely not. No. And they're not going to give themselves that much. No. They they would be out if it took that long. Although, in Texas' case, it has taken (laughs) that long in the Big 12, though. Yeah, but if they're they're sitting there, you know, 10 years in going, yeah, but we're still just working, almost there. It's like, no, that's not going to fly, man. So that's just just kind of a weird thought that that dawned on me yesterday in regards to A&M. But, yeah, the 20-team super conference, I mean, we just talked a little bit about the Pac-12. Who knows where that all lands, but – it is going to make for some games where you don't see a team for a while, and we'll see how entertaining that really is and, and who that actually involves. But, um, yeah, technically, to answer your question, PB Pope, hey, Craig, who's on your Mount Rushmore? Volleyball players, just kidding. Uh, I asked this in the Monday Q&A, but I'd love to hear you all expound a bit more on it. Once it's all said and done, assuming Baylor holds on to the key names in the class, where do you think it lands among all-time Baylor recruiting classes and – uh, what was that in regards to the volleyball thing? That was in regards to me just like interjecting a volleyball question during Mac Rhodes's expansion uh, talk and segment a week ago. Oh, I we thought were, it was in regards to just whenever anyone asks you about Mount Rushmore for no, a random sport. Well, that that might be <laughs> it, uh, but no, I think it's actually uh, Mac Rhodes's interview was kind of intense, not in like in an intense, yeah. like tumultuous way, but just it was like intense because we were finally hearing him talk about all that was going on with realignment and everything. And I'd made the joke about just like in the middle of the interview, just like popping in with a volleyball Mount Rushmore question, how awkward and weird that would have been. And kind of wish I still would have done it because of how awkward that would have been. But uh, I did not. So uh, where do you think it lands all time if it all stays uh, status quo? Yeah, it's the best class in Baylor football history. Um, For sure. At least since the rankings have been out there, which is since what, 2008. Um, so yeah, it's the best. And, and I think, you know, the ones that kind of stand out are, I think it was like 2014 and 2013, they were inside the top 25 as well. They were like right at 25. Um, and they had a lot of talent in those classes, but I always tend to lean towards, are you building on the offense line, defensive line, and what kind of talent are you getting there in those classes? And that's kind of been the hindrance for Texas over the years is they get all these skill players and all these great secondary guys, but they don't have any depth on the offensive and defensive lines. This Baylor class does. And that's why I think it is the best ever. I will say, though, uh, Travis did bring up a point that 2018 is also a very good one because it was a fringe top 30 class, but it was coming off of, you know, a really bad season. You know, you're still dealing with the scandal ramifications. So for them to get a class that good at that time uh, also puts it probably in the discussion. But but I think this is number one and then probably 2013, 2014, and then 2018. We got some Baylor football players that are expected to be here in just a few minutes, so let's knock out the rest of these. Um, MDWBU, fall camps next week. What narratives will you be paying most attention to? Yeah, I think we'll cover this more in depth next week, but I think the biggest narratives are who's going to start in the secondary, who's going to win the guard position between Micah Mascua and Moj Jeffrey. Um, How does Blake Shapin look? kind of what step forward is he taking, Um, and then the wide receivers. You know, who's going to stand out at wide receiver? Who's going to step up and take over a role? Those are the main ones. I'm also very curious about Josh White and kind of what he looks like and what he brings to the table at the Will linebacker spot. Yeah, I think that about covers it. I throw running back in there as well um, just to see kind of how that group shakes. I mean, I know we figure it's going to be Tay and Squirrel or whatever, but I still just want to see that and, and kind of wrap my head around that a little bit more. Um, yeah. Abram was a pretty sure thing last year, and um, and then Ebner as well. You, you knew what Ebner brought, and you knew that – it, we didn't really know a lot about Abram, but we knew a little bit, and it didn't take long to figure out, like, okay, this is going to work pretty and well. we heard a lot. Yeah, we heard a lot, that. and, you know, like, Tay's a great athlete and all that, but I haven't really, like, been sold on he's going to be able to carry the load a bunch, and, you know, him and Squirrel can just take it all by themselves. Like, I don't know that in any way, shape, or form, so uh, I'd throw that in there as well. But, yeah, uh, there's quite a few things to be on the lookout for. Uh, enable or enable, um, have to correct me and get that right for sure. Thoughts on the Pac-12's push to survive, specifically what John Wilner and Stuart Mandel have been putting out. I mean, I just kind of addressed it with the Kevin Warren quotes, which is in part of why I mentioned it, because it kind of does bring us up to the latest. Uh, I think they're doing what you would want them to do if you're a Pac-12 fan or you're a Pac-12 official, is you want to survive and you want to have a place at the table and you want to you know, be the Pac-12, uh, whatever that is moving forward. But I think the reality is, is just like with the Big 12, is there's two conferences that are, you know, taking up all the oxygen and are going to keep 
um, you know, sucking it until there's like no more left in the room for anybody else to, to be able to breathe, uh, basically, and how you are able to, to find your own supply or somehow, you know, uh, find just enough to, to keep going is, is the battle for, I think, everybody else in college football that's not in the SEC or the Big Ten. And, you know, certainly um, there's worse positions to be in, but there's not many worse right now, I feel like, than the Pac-12, just with losing two big brands, losing the city of Los Angeles, um, you're hinging all of your bets on, you know, a couple of reporters basically touting this 9:30 kickoff time, and that's it. And that's really that's it. Um, and I know that there's been some dives into the TV ratings and all of that, but you know, some of that's kind of flimsy as well and not exact comparison. So, I mean, really, it's it's up to the you know the eye of the beholder. But I, I don't feel like the the Pac-12's in in really great shape at the moment. I don't have bright hopes for its future. I'm not ruling out that it could still exist in some form, but I wouldn't be excited about whatever it is that they're working on right now because there's no great, uh, in my mind, great escape plan or, or exit strategy into this new era of the pack. Yeah, there's really no solution. And just John Wilner and Stuart Mandel, we talked a little bit earlier about them, but I, I just think they're doing everything they can to fit with what their kind of brand is, right, and kind of what they're trying to accomplish, and that's kind of where we're at right now. That's, that's it. Yep. Um, uh, no layups 21. How are we looking with Nova Sad? We Good. updated yeah. that. Keith 98, if you had the choice to pick between these two seating options for BU football <laughs> season tickets, which section would you choose and why? Option one, section 108, row six, seats 10 to 13, 25 to 30-yard line behind the bench, close enough to feel and hear the action on the sideline in the field. Option two, Section 224, row two, seats 5'8", 45 to 50-yard line behind the visitor's bench. I'll go option one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll trust you on that. Uh, I'll go option one. Thanks and sick and bears. Well, thank you, Key. So, option one. Uh, Brown BW, I want the tickets with my back to the sun. Uh, so, there you go with that. And a couple more. Uh, Bear in the Big Greenhouse, a viability question. I hear Greg Sankey's interest in realignment comes from a book called The Club on the English Premier League. What's the viability that the end game here is two super conferences with two second-tier conferences they promote and relegate teams between? Example, bottom two teams, SEC, drop to ACC. Top two in ACC promoted to SEC following year. A way to weed out the bottom feeders, money-losing programs like Vandy, and to reward the high-performing football-investing smaller schools. Theoretically keeps everyone interested, hopeful for the team, and sitting on pins and needles watching college football like it, hate it, would conferences and media giants buy in? Why? Um, I don't hate it, but I don't think it's viable. I, I don't see people in those conferences voting on this being the solution to their problems. And also, I don't see Vanderbilt being like, oh, yeah, that's fine. We'll just be in the, the bottom tier every year. Like, why would you want that when your position is so solidified in the SEC? I feel like a lot of schools would not vote yes on that. I, I just, I don't think it would work. I, I think that you're losing too much money when you're in that bottom tier with just these kind of false hopes at getting into the top tier when a lot of schools really have no hope at all in ever getting to that tier. Yeah, um, I, I don't know why you'd sign up for that unless you just had absolutely no choice in the matter. And uh, I'm trying to I'm not trying to rush through your question. We got like very large men outside the door waiting <laughs> on us right now um, as they get ready to do some interviews here in a second. But um, I, I, there's this weird obsession with the Premier League that I've been hearing about like for the last few years. It's the same, um, you know, thing that you pointed out of why it would be interesting and why it would make a lot of sense. But I, I just is the Premier League really all that popular? And I, I'm not talking to a soccer guy who tells me, like, how popular it is across the world. I'm talking about in America. I've been hearing my entire life how it's it's coming, man. Soccer's going to be, like, the third most popular sport and this and that. And it's maybe made a dent in the entire timeline. But it hasn't taken over America. It hasn't – like, it's got a, it's got a carve-out. It's got its, its, its fans. But I don't know that it's been so highly successful that we needed to make that how college football works. You know? Yeah. Like, I just – I, I don't know that it needs that drastic of a change. And, again, why would you sign up for that if you're these lower-level schools where right now you've got total certainty if you're Vandy? Why would you sacrifice, like, 50 gajillion dollars a year? You're not. No. You're not. And yeah. so you'd have to be forced into that, and then that changes the game entirely. And there's just there's a lot more that comes with that, I think, than, than as simplistic as that almost kind of sounds that, that people, yeah, just go move up and down if you're bait. Like, they're not going to want to do that. it's more than just Vandy. It's like Kentucky. They get this oh, money to use yeah. for basketball. Like, they're not going to give up this money. They, yeah. It's all these ramifications that 
come into play. Like South Carolina wouldn't risk that. Mississippi State wouldn't risk that. There are a lot of schools that would not risk that when they could be making X amount of money to make, you know, probably half as much. Yeah, maybe on another podcast when we have a bit more time, we can explore it even further, yeah. uh, Bear. But we are kind of pressed for time, so uh, complicated topic. It's not really complimentary to talk about, yeah, but I just I don't know how viable that is for the maintaining a future and, and knowing what is ahead of you. Uh, so I don't know that I would sign up for that. And final questions here, Bobbert Rollsby. <laughs> Uh, what is it with Morgantown, and why is it Baylor's kryptonite? Tough place to play. And I also think they've kind of hit West Virginia at bad times and gotten unlucky a couple times. You know, Bryce Petty getting hurt and what broke his back on, like, in the second quarter of that game yeah. uh, in Morgantown. They've had some bad luck there, and just overall it's a tough place to play, though. The ridiculous uh, Kevin White game uh, yeah. a few years ago where Baylor had, like, 25 pass interference calls. That was an insane day. That was 2014. That was when Bryce broke his back. So, it, yeah. was, both, it was both of those I things. I mostly remember for the – just like, every time they threw it to Kevin White, it was a P.I. Yeah. I mean, every single 225 time. 225 yards of uh, – defensive penalties yeah that was an ugly <laughs> ugly game uh cost them a shot at a national title um that game ultimately and yeah just very frustrating it's just a tough place to play they got a good enthusiastic crowd um and you know uh it'll be really tough this year being on a non-saturday and being at night that's going to be really tough uh will dave aranda beat tcu for the first time this year absolutely take it to the bank yeah i mean this year. i feel pretty good about that and if not man that would be Pretty nuts to me. I mean, they, they got to break that little whatever that is. I don't know if it's a curse or what, but they, they got to break that, especially now that Patterson's no longer there because there's just no reason for the struggles against TCU. Uh, and final question, what team has Baylor never played in recent history you would love to see as a bowl or playoff game? For me, it's LSU, especially now given our head coach. But I could also see people saying Alabama just to see how we play against the top dog. I'd like to play um... – I got two, Purdue, because family went there, and then the other one's Ohio State. I just think that'd be a lot of fun to play Ohio State, kind of test yourself against one of the better teams in a conference that's going to be in the Super Conference. I, I just, I would like to see that matchup, to see how close Baylor is. Yeah, Bobber, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, LSU would be fun. Um, I mean, there's any number. I mean, Ohio State would be Awesome as well. A&M would be great. It's been a while since Baylor played them, but I know they were in the same conference for a while, so I don't know if they count. But it's been over a decade. Yeah, I mean, exactly. that's the thing. Again, everybody thinks it's still like four years ago. <laughs> nope. Uh, looking at 11 years at this point. So, yeah, uh, kind of strange. But, yeah, I mean, any teams like Ohio State, LSU, USC would be cool. Yeah. Um, but th there's a number of them. There's a number of them. I couldn't just uh, pick one. But I guess if I had to pick just one – um, Ohio State sounds pretty cool. Yeah. That's that's a cool brand, and uh, that would really kind of test you in where you are, uh, I think. So, yeah, I'll go Ohio State as well. All right, that'll do it for us. Uh, some new names this week in the mailbag, and we do appreciate you. Normally we have a little more time to kind of breathe and take our time, but uh, do have basically Baylor's entire O-line uh, that will be coming up and some videos that you'll see on the website here soon enough. Uh, so we'll let them get in here because I'm sure they got some other things to do today. Uh, but still, uh, jam-packed hour news, Grace, and anything before we go? No, I don't think so. Just stay plugged in with Sikkim 365 Premium and 365 Sports Radio Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. And uh, it's always a lot of fun, especially with realignment going on and recruiting the way that it is for Baylor football right now. Yep, stay tuned. Plenty of action on the website, on the message boards, and on Sikkim 365 Radio weekdays 3 until 6 on YouTube. And we're still working on that app. Hopefully get that uh, squared away here pretty soon. But till next time, appreciate you for listening. As always, it's been the Bearcast on sick365.com.